Relevant Radio can always be heard loud and clear on your smart speaker. Listen live, listen to your favorite show whenever it fits your schedule, access our exclusive In Conversation with God podcast, the Glenn Story Corner podcast, and more. This program is pre recorded. Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Merry Christmas. And Glenn Leverance. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hi, this is John Morales for Glenn, Sarah, Gabby, and our entire team. Thanks for joining us for the best of Morning Air. Have a very blessed Christmas season and a happy new year. Want to bring in our Morning Air team once again, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, uh, what are a few of the big uh, stories that are making headlines here this hour? Well, John, if those birds and trees singing are the signs of spring, we have the uh, singing of snowblowers across the northern plains this morning as that major, major storm system moving across uh, much of North America continues its work today, going from, uh, well, the northern Rockies looping up into Canada from uh, this line of storms uh, from Winnipeg, uh, curving all the way down through Wisconsin, Kentucky, then back through Louisiana and Texas. Severe storms for the south again today. More snow up to an additional foot or so on the northern plains around the Great Lakes as well. Chicagoland uh, getting a lot of rain uh, yesterday and today as well. And uh, uh, a lot of uh, tough driving for areas uh, north of that. And uh, watch for severe storms and some of the cleanup going on in Texas today as well. Yeah, and these are uh, some uh, rare uh, tornadoes that have been spawned here in, in December. It usually doesn't happen this time of year, but it, it has definitely uh, hit uh, you know parts of the South, especially you know Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and uh, there's reports of uh, of damage, a lot of uh, fallen uh, electrical lines, uh, t- trees, roofs. Uh, a lot of folks will be uh, having to uh, dig out today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, take care if you're in the path of that and be aware of the weather, especially over the next day or two for the entire eastern half of the country. Absolutely. Uh, On a happier note, and we talked about it a little bit uh, with our Rome correspondent last hour, I'm sure that uh, Pope Francis is uh, smiling from ear to ear because uh, his beloved Argentina, Lionel Messi, uh, led Argentina to a 3-0 win over Croatia yesterday to reach the World Cup final. Messi with a goal and an assist to lead the way. Uh, Argentina is going to wait and see who they're going to play as France takes on Morocco uh, in uh, the other semifinal today at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, noon Central. So uh, a lot of celebrations by uh, the Argentinian people that I saw yesterday. A lot of uh, that powder blue and white. Hey, John, you've been a sports announcer for many years. Uh, For us just today, for this, with the World Cup this week and the final coming up soon, could you give us a a goal if someone just scored and you're calling that game? What does that sound like? Uh, It might sound sound something like, uh, Disparo de Messi! Goal! (laughs) Please don't get me started. Don't get me started, Glenn. We should have had the timer on how long that was going to go, because I think I could have gone a little longer. You need to practice. I went a little low-key there, Sarah. (laughs) Let me tell you, these people, they they get so excited. All I can think of, and I can relate from an American perspective, it's like people, their teams before the Super Bowl. They're they're, they're going nuts on every touchdown, every field goal, and obviously uh, the same thing for the the folks in the World Cup. So uh, my hat is off to... uh, 
Messi and Argentina. We'll wait and see uh, who they will be uh, taking on. Yeah, that reminds me with your hat being off. Uh, just how many people probably are doing that when someone's scoring a goal? Do you ever find your hat again after throwing, you know, pieces of your uh, clothing somewhere because you're so excited? I mean, I imagine there's going to be a lot of uh, no one's name tagging this stuff. So that would be difficult. Glenn, that was funny. I, I, I was not ready for that. <laughs> that was totally not planned, but uh, uh, we'll take it. A little fun here in the morning. Good job. Good uh, job. Meanwhile, uh, you have yet another uh, amazing cat story. Well, yeah, it's, you know, the season of, you know, folks getting together after being separated sometimes with the holidays. Maybe COVID's kept you away for a while. Well, this poor cat kept away from its family for 10 years, reconnected after 10 years. Matter of fact, we have kind of the feline version of, of Home Alone, as a matter of fact. Uh, this cat called Mimi lost in Long Island. Uh, in 2012, the, the Price family cat went missing and then they moved to Spain, but... This cat was found. The cat was microchipped. They were able to reunite it with the owners, and they're coming back from Spain to pick up uh, the cat from Long Island and, and head back to Spain. So kind of the, the little kitty cat version of, of Home Alone. Uh, yeah, that sounds like I'm just trying to picture what it would have been like if they were there, you know, they're in their apartment or home or whatever in uh, Spain. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they get this realization like, oh, someone found their, their animal. And then probably something similar to this might happen. Kevin! Except it was uh, Mimi. It wasn't. She didn't scream out Kevin, but I imagine it was something similar. Like, oh, oh, wow, this is. We got to get there. And so now I wonder if this music plays in their background of their head as they're traveling back from Spain to get their cat and be reunited with uh, the poor long lost cat. Man, that's just that's a long time to be away from your pet. I imagine they probably wrote the cat off, but this is Merry Christmas, right? Merry yeah, Christmas to. Uh, Little uh, kitty Mimi, and uh, it's a shame. Mimi never got to learn Espanol. <laughs> there you go. Well, now there's a whole new world for Mimi. can come back to Spain and be introduced to a whole new set of worlds, so that'll be great for me. There you go. All right, great story, as always. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Sarah and Glenn. First things first, we always start every hour here on Morning Air, always in prayer and always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. We always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Galatians 2, 19 and 20. The Apostle St. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christmas is for the humble. Christmas is hidden from the learned and the clever and revealed to the smallest children, as the Lord Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. Christmas is for the humble because the proud don't fit into the manger scene. We can humble ourselves by repenting, by apologizing, by especially here during Advent going to confession and worshiping Jesus the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. 
This Christmas, let's clothe ourselves with humility so that we can see the baby Jesus with our hearts and in our homes. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer from the chaplet, Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. You can find us on Twitter at Morning Air Show as well as on Facebook. You can shoot us an email, morningair at relevantradio.com. And our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. Uh, Real quick on Wednesdays, before I forget, I always take a moment to remind you to pray to St. Joseph. Don't forget St. Joseph. We always remind remind, uh, ourselves here on Wednesdays of of St. Joseph. He is a powerful intercessor, so go to Joseph. Now, according to uh, an interesting recent article from Elatea, humans are made for relationship. We need each other to live well and to flourish, but who exactly do we spend most of our time with, and what does that tell us? Uh, A recent survey by American Time uh, Use Survey and data from our world uh, uh, showed who Americans are spending their time with at different stages of life. Joining us live this morning is our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tayon, to discuss this interesting survey of how Americans are actually spending their time. Father Tayon is the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and a longtime relevant radio and morning air contributor. Good morning, Father Tayon. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again here down the stretch of Advent. Amen, and blessed Advent to all our listeners as we uh, draw close, and uh, just great to be together this morning and, and even bring up this this topic a little different. I think uh, talking about Advent's a time of reflection, right, penitential season, as well as spirit of joy. So it's a great thing, maybe a part of our inventory preparation for confessions is how do we spend our time, what are we prioritizing? We We always spend time with who and what we love, I think, and if we love the Lord a lot, we'll spend time in prayer, right, it's privacy flows from our, our love for him. And then in, in relationships, we're, we're, we're communal. We're made and created by God to be in communion with him and with others. And we know for a fact, all of us, that when we're not in communion, when there's a loneliness or a separation experience, it's very, very painful. The human soul, the psyche, the mind, the heart are made to be never alone. Um, the Satan wants us to believe we're alone, unloved by God. So who do we spend most of our time with? And, and this study that came out I think is uh, kind of commonsensical, but it's something we don't often think about. You know, if you had to sort of make times in your life when you were a child, you know, who did you spend most time with in high school? I think it's always often I've seen a shift where high school kids all of a sudden just want to be with their friends and no longer kind of might go through that phase, not all of them, but wanting to not be with, with friends more than family, depending on, on, on the family and, and culture there. And then obviously going off to college and kids that might, want to still remain at home, get homesick, others kind of break away, and then and then finally getting into the workforce. And the study shares naturally, once you move on into the workforce, you do spend more time with colleagues, and that makes sense. We develop relationships with them. And then what happens as life goes on, uh, tends to families do tend to come kind of back together. I've seen kind of, I think the the study kind of points to that, but, but we know that uh, you know, sort of once 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 life goes on, there's sort of a, a return back to those basic 
relationships, especially family relationships and and marriages. As we know, we need they need to pay attention, right? Sort of when when a married couple is raising children, they have no time to be with each other alone too much. It's years sometimes at a time where there's no more date nights and and times together, vacations without the children. So we always have to be on guard. I think this study is also kind of a coaching towards for married couples that they kind of work on their friendship with each other and don't all of a sudden empty nest and say, who is this person that I've raised my children with and, and kind of keeping that all in balance. But of course, the ultimate relationship is with God. And at every phase of our life, we're called to spend time with Christ, our, our Heavenly Father, and be in, in, in relationship with the Trinity primarily so that we can get guidance on who we spend time with in the other phases and, and parts of our life. So it's a very... I think a very Advent study. It's it's a time for, it invites reflection. I think on our own lives, lives of people we know, and uh, and and learn lessons from that. And maybe we can sort of a uh, adjust a prayer life, but also with holidays coming up and people sort of having to, having to be with family members and post COVID, maybe people we haven't seen in a long time. But the Lord is making that a sacred thing. That should always be seen as a sacred action of God. God's always gathering families, even those with brokenness and hesitations and hurts in the past, to kind of, you know, we, we need, no matter what, even if it's a group of people, of friends, um, whenever the Lord always desires communion with, with himself, with us, but also with each other, and we need to be like the prayer of St. Francois, let me, let me be an instrument of your peace. And that means in every circumstance. So I think it's a great study and... Uh, it's it's a fodder for thought and reflection. Yeah, there's uh, some very fascinating insights from uh, this study, uh, Father Tayon. Uh, it, it, one of the things that it, that it made me think of is it's really important uh, uh, who we marry. Uh, can you talk about the, a little bit about the importance of uh, choosing uh, that person, the right person that we marry? Sure, I think so. It's one of the biggest choices, if not the biggest choice, after our faith life that most people will make in life. And uh, I think it's important to ask God, you know, is and be aware. I, sometimes I, I work with a lot of engaged couples who are highly, highly trafficked wedding um, marriage covenant venue, which I love. Our church, um, you meet a lot of couples, and sometimes ask them, you know, is you know, is God? Are you sure God is calling you to marry each other? And they're almost like shocked. They had never thought of that. I think they kind of move along. But it's important who one chooses to marry. Um, you know, are they in relationship with the Lord? Will Will you be able to raise the kids in faith? And then those things come into play, right? We're talking about family dynamics. So when someone marries someone, they marry into the whole family. We know that, and that can be a very colorful experience for some people. Um, we, but I know people that you know have in a sense, added more children to their families by the spouses that are chosen and others that have struggled, especially sometimes from day one. There might be a a struggle there, and that makes it really hard on on the person that marries them um, and on the family. So those are worthy things of reflection and prayer. When someone decides who to marry, I would always say, you know, please God for people of faith, uh, we believe it's a vocation, a calling, which means that God would be calling us to marry that person, similar to like a priest being called to celibate fatherhood or a consecrated life, but especially in marriage, it's you know, as as everyone knows, it's married. It's it's work. It's a lot of uh, give and take, and it's a committed love, a love that says I won't ever leave, uh, no matter what happens, and I'll always forgive. I'm open to forgiveness. I always tell every couple I marry, this is a God will covenant you into making a promise you'll never leave, and the second one, I will always, I'm committing to always forgive you, and that's. You know, again, I, I like working with couples. I think sort of those underground things, sometimes people don't 
don't pay attention to innocently. They're busy and they're in love and there's that, you know, kind of attractive love and then hopefully a friendship love and then a spousal love and then and then the children come. So there's all these phases in marriages. So I think it's important for, for married couples to go to confession, to practice, to go to mass. I, again, I, I really don't see couples that go to confession and mass. They don't uh, tend to divorce. They're usually sometimes... The first thing to go is practice stops, you know, and people are having a struggle and need to cling to Jesus, come back to the church, stay in the church and get the support and help that they need. And and even around the holidays, that's certain for all of us, everyone that might need a little extra support. This time you should lean in on Christ, lean in on the sacraments. Christ is with us. And also every marriage needs work, needs sort of a, if you will, a, just a, a blessed time, like a acknowledging the sacredness of the calling and uh, and that's important. So so who one marries is, is huge. It's obviously one of the biggest. It'll affect everything. It also affects a lot of other people in the family. You marry someone, and all the the in laws, the siblings, the cousins, depending how how close a family is, that that person also can be a bit anxious coming into a especially a steadfast family, a very together family, it can be intimidating for someone coming from maybe a background different than that and trying to learn the culture. So this is one of the things when we fall in love and someone gets engaged, learning the culture of that family. To which one is marrying into, and, and and respecting each other's cultures, respecting each other's backgrounds, and hopefully getting closer to Jesus in the engagement process. When a child comes, another occasion to get closer to Jesus. Again, the the Holy Family go to Joseph today. What can Joseph and Mary, you know, teach us about daily life? Most of their life was in Nazareth, uh, not famous, not noticed. It was daily life that God consecrated more than anything else on earth. Is He consecrated that? So we should we should take note of that. And Advent's a time to to kind of hone in on that ourselves and yeah my gosh that's right jesus saved us and he he spent most of his time just in ordinary family life so my ordinary family life is the place where i can consecrate my life and my little sufferings my little sacrifices and sometimes really big ones that are sustained for a while but those kind of places are where where the family the holy family spirituality is lived out and we can again take take a little bit of inventory today how we spend our time who we spend our time with and what's our priorities in life? We're, we're, who do we want to be with? And maybe even a deeper question, why? 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 Of course, we want to be with people we love, I think. And, and what about people that aren't so lovable? You know, does Jesus want us to be with them? And kind of, you know, again, what are the priorities of the heart and, and the soul? And uh, again, holidays are a great time to grow in charity and love because uh, it's, there's a lot going on. People want to be together. But will we be the brightest light for Christ in every room we're in? When there's something social, or even around the parish, you know, can we can do our best to to be engaging for Jesus and whoever we meet? I think that's that's an Advent activity that we should all be doing every day, year long. But I think it's a hypersensitivity around Advent. And Father Tyone, Advent is also a time to really uh, cherish and really appreciate and say thank you, Jesus, for the gift of our children. Uh, they grow up so fast. They're only babes for a little time. Before you know it, uh, they're grown men and grown women. So we really need to appreciate our children here uh, during uh, Advent time. No, I, I think you're, it's, it's a relishing time of the year, right? It's a time of pondering, a time of light against darkness. And, you know, if you've got kids at home and they're growing up fast, sometimes, as you know, gro- going into the bedroom at night when they're asleep and just looking at them, like praying over them, um, that can be a really sacred moment. 30 seconds, you walk in there after they're asleep and just look at them and thank Jesus for them. And um, and I think that's a great Advent activity for moms and dads. And likewise, elderly parents, uh, aging relatives, to really make a point, crowbar a visit in there with them. And again, 
gaze into them a little bit as God does with us and, and you know, thank them. Thank Jesus even for uh, for whatever's happened. Well, no matter what it is, uh, thank Jesus uh, for for bringing everybody together. And it's a, I think it's a, Advent's a time to gaze, to reflect, to receive, um, and to do that. But if you've got children, I'd suggest you do that before Christmas a couple of times. You go in and do the uh, the holy gaze thank you uh, from mom and dad. And I, I think that's... Uh, like a little retreat moment in the house that can happen very easily, and it's a, it's post chaos of the day. It's a very simple thing to do, and kind of kind of again a Joseph Mary moment. Uh, certainly, they would have done that with baby Jesus, no doubt, many times. So maybe we can imitate that today. Uh, Father Tyone, uh, final moments together here. Uh, one of the interesting aspects of uh, this Alatea article on uh, who do Americans spend most of their time with was the the reality that by far uh, the person we spend the most time with is ourselves. Can you uh, briefly talk about the importance of liking ourselves and, and recognizing that even though we're by ourselves, God is always with us? Yeah, no one's ever alone, and that's one of the great uh, lies of the evil one, right? The devil wants us to believe we're unloved and we're unlovable. Um, that's the great that's the great remnant of the fall, and so no one's ever alone. So if we're physically alone, we're not alone. Christ is with us, and we need to sort of come into contact with that, and, and that soothes Advent. And I know a lot of people have struggled around the holy days. They feel a little bit more lonely, but it's a time to gather in that Christ is with us, and, and we can do that through prayer, through re- receptivity in prayer, not speaking, fix this, take this loneliness away, but a receptivity to Jesus. So no one's ever alone. I'm glad you brought that up. Most important thing, and uh, we spend most time with ourselves, but actually I would say ourselves and Christ, because Christ is always with us. So we're actually never alone. We spend time with ourselves, but ourselves are always accompanied in the the gaze and the love of the Heavenly Father upon us. So, so no one's ever alone. So, so if that comes into your head, that is not from God. That's from the enemy. And don't entertain that that thought, because that is just that is just an anti-Advent, anti-Christmas thought from the other side. And uh, we we will not give in to that. We will be victorious, knowing how loved we are. And and again, that communion that that just gives Jesus so much pleasure when we understand and experience it. So so everyone, we all we all got to do that. Let's be receptive to Jesus today, um, especially when we don't have other people around us. That That's important. can practice that. Practice it in traffic or on the train. You get nicer, too. We get more patient and uh, have a smile on our face that Mother Teresa so much said made a big difference, and we can understand that even better today. Father Tyone, can you give us an Advent blessing? Lord, give us the grace to be like Joseph and Mary, anticipating, open to your plan for our lives, and to be obedient in faith, uh, not begrudgingly, but with a great trust and a great zeal that that we know that you're using our lives, and especially our sufferings, uh, to unite ourselves to the cross and the mystery and the truth of Easter. Give us the grace and the power of Easter to these Advent and Christmas days as we appear to celebrate the great joy, the humility, the vulnerability, and the gift that is the baby Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, uh, Father Tyon. Really appreciate your insights and uh, your spiritual direction. Uh, Happy Advent the rest of the way. Have a blessed day. Thank you. Father Marcel Tyon, the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and a longtime Relevant Radio and Morning Air contributor. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Uh, Our personal success coach, Dave Duran, will join us to tell us about some of the common reasons for not accepting responsibility. Stay with us. We're headed down the stretch as Morning Air continues on this Wednesday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Thank you.
Hi, this is John Morales for Glenn, Sarah, Gabby, and our entire team. Thanks for joining us for the best of morning air. Have a very blessed Christmas season and a happy new year. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance and Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Wednesday morning. Have you ever heard someone say, it's not my fault? There's nothing I can do about it. Yes, there are some folks in life that no matter what happens, they struggle to accept responsibility. They always find an an excuse. Do you know somebody like that uh, that's always looking for uh, a scapegoat. Uh, I had an old friend who used to say, uh, this guy it was an all-star salesman, and he used to say to me, excuses are a sign of weakness. Well, we're going to talk about it. Our number, if you want to be part of the conversation, uh, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Joining us live from Fort Myers, Florida this morning is our longtime Morning Air contributor, Dave Duran, to discuss some common reasons for not accepting responsibility and what what we can do about it. Dave Duran is an author, speaker, and executive coach. He is the co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media and a founder of Lighthouse Catholic Media and DE Media. You can always follow Dave on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Good morning, Dave. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again this morning. Happy Advent. Happy Advent. It's great to be with you, John. Hey, Dave, uh, do you think that uh, being a responsible person, a responsible citizen and taking responsibility is a hard thing to do? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's one of those things, though, that there's a relative hardness to it in that as we grow in virtue, it becomes easier for us to do because we flex the muscles of the will and the intellect and we, we become better at these things. But when we're young and we're immature, it's, it's much more difficult. And, you know, it's also an interesting thing, too, John, because in today's society, people have been taught not literally taught how to not accept responsibility. It's the act is actually the opposite. Not everybody. Clearly, there are great parents out there doing great things, great teachers, educators and coaches. Um, And then there are many people who are kind of in between. And then there are those that are just actually really bad at it. And I will tell you the 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 greatest way to reduce any form of responsibility is that classic worst idea of the last century, and that is that we can all have our own truth. Because as soon as we can have our own truth, which is impossible, then all of a sudden there's no need to accept responsibility. Because you can just change whatever happened to your own perception of it and call it the truth. And therefore, you can actually demonize others for doing good and wanting good. And you can kind of glorify yourself for doing bad or wicked things because you become God, God himself. And that, that's a big problem. So we have to learn how to accept responsibility in just the traditional day, way where people, you know, hey, learn to make your bed, do things, go to school, contribute, all the way into today's society where it's gotten even worse. And those things aren't even on the table. What's on the table 
is accept responsibility by not actually doing wicked things. I mean, I know that I'm kind of going all out there with this, but it really has become like that. No question about it. Uh, that's such a, a good point. Uh, it's not about our own truth. The truth is the truth, and uh, that, that cannot be uh, uh, forgotten. Now, what about uh, for some folks, it's just really difficult. They, they just, no matter what, they can't admit that they've done something wrong or that they've made a mistake. It, I'm sure you've run into that uh, in your travels. Yeah, you know, we all have, uh, and I've run into it building companies, I've run into it in family, I've run into it uh, in travels and speaking and writing books, and one of the reasons that I said it that way is that there is, in fact, a common denominator, and I have been a part of all of these things myself, like the rest of us. So excuses are not just everybody else's thing. There's something that we can all fall into. Now, if we're doing it the right way, though, those excuses become diminished, we handle responsibility, and we see things clearer. But it's always important that when we look at this sort of topic, that we look at it and we say, yeah, where am I making excuses? Where is this? This topic isn't just for everybody else, but it's also for me. And that's important. And so I want to dive into some of these. And, and actually, John, the first one is, that people use is they say, I'm too busy. And this is often a self-justifying circumstance where they're basically, they're, they're handling secondary or third responsibilities as opposed to primary responsibilities. And they get very, very upset uh, at others. I actually recently I checked into a hotel room. When I checked in, the hotel was very empty. It was kind of a nice boutique area thing here. And the woman who was checking me in um, was very short and acting very harried and busy and um, very defensive on a simple question, you know, uh, you know, such as, hey, is it an electronic key or is it a regular key? And, well, how do you expect me to answer that question? I'm so busy. I'm, I've been so busy, the hotel is just slammed, and it was completely not slammed, and it just didn't make any sense. So the following morning, when I'm, I, I went down to get some breakfast, the whole lobby area is, is still not open. It's 7.15, but it's supposed to open at 7 o'clock, and then here she comes in late and trying to get caught up. Now, I don't know what was happening in her personal life. I cannot be the judge of that by any stretch of the imagination. She probably is feeling some sort of real stress from an outside pressure. But what I can tell you is from the outside, the, the objective look that I had, not knowing her heart or soul, couldn't do that. But objectively speaking, because she wasn't actually handling her responsibilities at work, showing up late, doing these sorts of things, she had to project out to everybody else how intense and busy it was in order to justify that she wasn't doing what she was supposed to do. And it's a fascinating observation, one that I probably wouldn't have had if, as a professional, I didn't help people identify these things, but it was just pretty obvious. Well, uh, Dave, um, you know, really, I, I think sometimes it, it comes down to uh, making it a priority. You know, I, I can relate to to um, feeling like I'm just too busy. I can't get something done because it's not a top priority. I, I think we have to recognize what's really important and then go after it systematically. We do. And see, pride is at the center of virtually every excuse. In fact, it is at the center of every excuse we make. And when we make an excuse, we don't feel good about ourselves. That is an inevitable reaction to it. And when people don't feel good about themselves, they have a tendency to really start to project out and to be frustrated with others. So it's very good if we want to avoid excuses to really stay close to the sacraments. I mean, you know, listen, if a person is not Catholic, I would just say examine your conscience uh, on a regular basis. 
But as Catholics, we particularly have this wonderful ability to go to confession, examine our conscience, and then to be able to live in a way which is in accordance to God's will and form our conscience, which, by the way, builds our virtue. And then on top of that, it fortifies our ability to feel better about ourselves so we can conduct ourselves in a non-wounded way in order to accomplish the things we need to do. Great, great suggestion. As Catholics, we have we have all the tools of sanctification, especially confession, the Holy Eucharist, and prayer. Let's talk about a, another common reason for not accepting responsibility. Nobody told me. This is one of the things that people say a lot. They say, nobody told me. I always remind people, listen, if you're going to be a professional, you're going to move from amateur to professional status. And whether that's that's actually being non-paid and paid or it's a metaphor for, you know, even a, a, a young kid who doesn't clean his room well to, to become professionally good at it, right, metaphorically speaking. One of the things that we have to remember is that one of the hugest differences between an amateur and a professional is that amateurs are constantly waiting for other people. They're constantly saying, nobody told me, I didn't know. Whereas a professional says, you know what, that's not an excuse. It's kind of like in the law. They say ignorance of the law is not, is, is not a pass, right? If you don't know the speed limit is what it is in a certain area and you're speeding, you're still going to get caught for it if it's the right police officer and they have the right to do it. So we need to go out and say, well, what should I know? What should I be involved in? What meetings should I attend or listen better to? What documents should I read? What trade secrets should I understand in order to be better at what it is that I'm doing so that I can't run around saying I didn't know? Now, by the way, sometimes we are too busy and sometimes we didn't know. What makes a great excuse a great excuse is that it's plausibly real. So I'm not saying that these things can't actually happen and can't actually be real, but when people overblow them in order to protect themselves time uh, uh, in their own time, that's a problem. If you don't know, go and find out. Somebody does know. Right on. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. All right. Well, we have a few more uh, of these uh, suggestions, these common reasons for not accepting responsibility to get through. Uh, But uh, we need to take a short break. I want to invite our listeners. uh, We're taking your calls for Dave Duran. If you want to share your thoughts on why uh, people have a hard time taking responsibility, we'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call and be part of our conversation at 888-914-9149. Nine one four nine one four nine. If uh, what we've been talking about, if that's you, love to hear from you. We're going to take a, a short time out and continue with uh, Dave Duran uh, after uh, this. What's that? This is today's Gospel reading from the New American Bible. Luke, chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
You can find all the daily readings at relevantradio.com gospel or tap the prayer tab on the Relevant Radio app. Lives changed in your neighborhood and across the country. Here's another miracle moment on Relevant Radio. This person said I was diagnosed in uh, 2020 with stage four carcinoma, uh, kidney cancer, and it was my left kidney, my left adrenal gland, the liver and lungs and brain. I was about to enter a clinical trial. I had a difficult decision to make. Uh, my liver enzyme skyrocketed so high that it disqualified me for the trial, and I began regular treatments in my hometown. But that was God's that was first. Uh, that was the first of God's directions. I started to live a life with cancer. My life totally changed, but for the better. I was able to restore relationships with siblings. I found my way back to the Catholic faith. I began to go to mass and confession. I was introduced to Relevant Radio and to this beautiful prayer, the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And I prayed it. I prayed it a lot. And although my life changes or I had troubles, I could feel Jesus leading me in the right direction. As of right now, I'm in remission. I've had surgery to remove my kidney, had monthly immunotherapy treatments, changed my diet. I found an alternative treatment, all of which I feel was part of the Lord's plan. Uh, I'd never been in pain, lost my hair, been nauseous or truly any difficult days. Um, the priest looked at the, the, the doctor looked at my chart a few days ago and said, you must have a lot of people praying for you. I just smiled and said to him, yes, I do. But God played a role in my health, and I would not be here if he had not given me this opportunity. He has truly answered my prayers, and I am so grateful for that. And I, I just love this. Just thank you, Drew, and, and everyone on Relevant Radio for your prayers and for your inspiration. This miracle moment was brought to you by you. Make a tax-deductible donation now to support our mission at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Or call 877-291-0123. That's 877 877- Two nine one zero one two three. Hi, this is John Morales for Glenn, Sarah, Gabby, and our entire team. Thanks for joining us for the best of morning air. Have a very blessed Christmas season and a happy new year. light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. is the number. If you uh, want to be part of our fascinating conversation here this morning, we're talking about uh, common reasons for not accepting responsibility as we uh, continue with uh, our Morning Air contributor, Dave Duran, who is our personal success coach, the co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media. Uh, Dave, uh, I-, I was telling Sarah during the break that, you know, when you bring up the point of the difference between an amateur and a professional, you know, sometimes I tell my son, the pros know that they need to work out and to warm up uh, before a-, a baseball game. And my son's a big baseball player. And I say to him, you know, do it like the pros. Don't wait for the coach coach to tell you, don't be an amateur. Don't wait for the coach to tell you to go warm up and loosen up before uh, a game. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, that's one of the hugest differences to distinguish an amateur from a pro is 
And by the way, even there's a kind of a layered level of what it means to be a pro once you're actually a pro. And that is that ability to accept the responsibility to drive your own behaviors and actions without others needing to actually provide that encouragement. So if, if encouragement is an accelerator, that's awesome. But really the true professional and the greatest people that I've ever worked with at that level, they, they need very little guidance. A leader for that type of person generally is somebody to keep them on the team to keep them from going astray from the team, but not necessarily somebody that has to raise their standard. And it's pretty interesting. Great stuff. Uh, all right, so what is the, the third common reason uh, for not accepting responsibility? I don't know. <laughs> Ironically. You don't? It's, yes. <laughs> Ironically, it's saying or believing I don't know. And by the way, believing I don't know wouldn't actually be an excuse, but saying I don't know when you don't believe it is is the excuse and a lot of people do that they have this defeating ability um they, they basically defeat the ability for them to learn okay so they either claim to not know something when they know it or they claim to not be able to learn something that they should learn so therefore the excuse shouldn't perpetuate but this is what people do they I don't know I didn't know how am I supposed to know and the reason you're supposed to know and the reason you can know is because it's within your genre. And this is the thing that's, that's ironic about it is quite often these excuses come out for kids when they are making an excuse about the level of responsibility that they should currently be at today because they're still living in the past. Okay. Yes, you were that age. Now you're this age and you're saying, I don't know, but now you need to know because you're this age. Okay. You go from not driving a car to driving a car. And now that you're driving the car, you can't say, well, I didn't know that a stop sign was red and said stop. Okay, well, now you need to know. So we have a tendency to carry those uh, irresponsible behaviors into the workplace and into our adult responsibilities or our adult relationships even, as opposed to saying, well, you know what? Yesterday was yesterday. Today is today. There are things that I should know today that I did not know yesterday. And it's my responsibility to know them. So I'm going to learn them so that I can actually be competent and good in what I'm doing. And we think about this in the faith, John, too. We can't expect to know Christ like we're supposed to know Christ if we stop knowing or learning about Christ today. It doesn't work. Um, you, you can't just say, well, everything I need to know about God I know now, I'm done, I'm good. No, we need to continue to learn more. Why? Because we, the more we learn about Christ, the more we learn about the truth with a capital T, perfect love, the more we learn the truth about ourselves and we learn how to love ourselves, not, yes, how to love ourselves, but how to love, comma, ourselves, we need to know that, right? So we can learn to love others. And so these are very important things to do. Okay, uh, this fourth reason uh, for not accepting responsibility, this one really hits home as a, as a dad of a teenager. Oh, yeah. This is the classic teenage excuse for low behavior, and it holds on to an adult years if it's not corrected, and it's everyone's doing it. You know, as though if everyone does something wrong or weird, it becomes less wrong or less weird. And, of course, this is what society is doing today to us, is trying to basically say, listen, we want to take any one of these behaviors, and we just want to normalize it in every way that we can possibly normalize it so that nobody feels 
strange about it. I mean, one of the most unbelievable ones now is this whole thing, and I'm sure you've heard about it or even talked about it on the air, where kids now can act like animals at school. Oh, yeah. And they I've literally can purr like Furries, a cat. Furries, I think they're called. Yes. And Furries. they can purr like a cat it's, and meow. It's insane. And the, and the teachers can't do anything about it because somehow this is... This is going to wreck the kid's self-esteem. Yeah, you want to see a kid with really low self-esteem have them purr like a cat when they get out in the real world. Okay, that's going to be pretty problematic. I can't think, and I'm just going to straight, straight up say this to every teacher, parent, or anybody who is perpetuating this nonsense. You are one of the, that is one of the most cruel things you could ever do to a kid is to let them live in a place of fantasy like that without correcting it expecting that they are not going to have tremendous hurt and pain later in life. David, I don't know if you caught it yesterday, but there was a, there was this woman who dressed up as a cat and went uh, to a, uh, a school meeting, and she said, I am a cat. And she was trying to make a point of how insane all of this uh, uh, discussions that these kids are being uh, brainwashed with uh, today are. And, and she insisted that she's a cat, but obviously she was just trying to make a point. Yeah, I'm glad she did it because, see, for me, this topic, many of these topics, but this one in particular, and, and it got, you know, whatever, there's a buffet of things you can be frustrated by. But one of the things that just needs to be told to these people and we need to rise up is how cruel it is. This is abundantly mean to do to people. It is, it is literally the opposite of compassion. It is a cruelty at such a high level. And people can't just sit around going, oh, I'm afraid now. If you're a teacher in a school where somebody's doing this, for goodness sakes, scream out about it. Literally don't tolerate it. And if you get fired for it, fine. What good is your institution if you're going to run around pretending people are cats when they're not cats? They can't learn there anyway. So you might as well leave and go do something productive. We really need to speak out on this sort of thing. It's, How about it's, that, John? It's, 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 I don't totally, I don't usually go off like that. But come on, it's, it's so wacky. <laughs> we, but we could do a whole show on that. Uh, the cat woman. <laughs> it's oh my goodness, it Let, is. Let's uh, let's. Uh, we, uh, we, Maggie is is standing by. She's been patiently holding. Maggie, I, I want to bring you in. Uh, Maggie's joining us from uh, outside of Chicago, Oak Park, Illinois. Good morning. You're on with Dave Duran. Hi. Good morning, Dave. My dilemma in out in the world with employees is. When we do get those surveys, like at McDonald's for the person who hands us our stuff and all that, or any hotel, and um, is it, you know, if you do have a not good experience, is it hurtful to them if you write about it? Is it helpful to write about it to the company? Or, you know, I know that some people could lose their job over a negative survey like that. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'm generally uh, kind of patient and kind with people that are in these circumstances like that, particularly if it's a entry-level role and you can tell they might not have a whole lot of experience and they're working their way into it. I think the feedback generally is better direct to that person without hurting them on that survey type of form. And one of the reasons that I say that is a little bit different today, it's hard to find help even. And a lot of these institutions we go to where you just want to, you know, to get a meal, the work will, if they just all end up quitting. So there could be a more compassionate way to generally do that. That being said, those tools can be useful. And sometimes the surveys are anonymous and they're good for the management to understand and know in order to help coach and train. So we can't be afraid of reality. We can't be afraid of the truth. But just in that, I have a tendency to encourage people to tip their breakfast waitress a little bit more than normal, uh, regardless almost of the behaviors, because, you know, I can tell you this right now, 
if, if I had to run around at 50 different tables as fast as I possibly could in the morning and forgot a, a something or other on, on coffee and somebody gave me a hard time, I might not have the smile somebody wants me to see at the next table too. So we just need to be um, reasonable about it, but not afraid to give feedback, I would say, is my opinion. And that's just one man's opinion. Thanks, Maggie. Appreciate it. Final minute, uh, Dave. Um, the fifth common reason for not accepting responsibility, and this reminds me of a former U.S. president who once said uh, that it's not in his job description. There you go. How about that? Well, you know, when people say it's not my problem, that is a big deal. And one of the reasons that we have difficulty in just an organization where the culture starts to erode is that everybody thinks, well, it's not my problem. Well, it is. And we have the ability to either contribute to the culture or let it erode to the standards in all things or let those things erode. And it's just important for us to know when to be docile about something, when to be intense about something, when to uh, accept responsibility about something, or when to, you know, obviously encourage somebody else to accept the responsibility that they have to. Be a pro, not an amateur. I appreciate uh, all of your insights, Dave. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you for being with us. Thanks, John. Dave Durand, our uh, speaker and executive coach uh, here on Morning Air. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. With just a little over a week left to go till Christmas, if you're starting to feel the shopping stress, our story today, eight gifts that do not cost a cent. Number one, the gift of listening. But you must really listen. No interrupting, no daydreaming, no planning your response, just listening. Number two, the gift of affection. Be generous with appropriate hugs, kisses, pats on the back, and handholds. Let these small actions demonstrate the love you have for family and friends. Number three, the gift of laughter. Clip cartoons, share articles, funny stories. Your gift will say, I love to laugh with you. Number four, the gift of a written note. A brief handwritten note may be remembered for a lifetime and may even change a life. Number five on our list of eight gifts that do not cost a cent, the gift of a compliment. A simple and sincere, you look great in red. You did a super job or that was a wonderful meal can make someone's day. Number six, the gift of a favor. Every day go out of your way to do something kind. Number seven, the gift of solitude. There are times when we want nothing better than to be left alone. Be sensitive to those times and give the gift of solitude to others. Number eight, the gift of a cheerful disposition. The easiest way to feel good is to extend a kind word to someone. Really, it's not that hard to say hello or thank you. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. As always, thanks so much, Glenn. What a fabulous story corner, uh, talking about these eight gifts that don't cost a single cent. Now, here during Advent, uh, let's remember Christ, the reason for the season by praying the family rosary across America with Father Rocky. In fact, he just stuck his head in here just a second ago. Tonight, 7 p.m. Central and every night of the week on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Wednesday edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance, producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Thursday on the next Morning Air. The Patrick Madrid Show is up next.